Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. And his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Uh, the second reading is from Exodus. Exodus chapter 17, uh, 1 through to 7. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, travelling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarrelled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me, and why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarrelled, and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Thank you, Phil. Morning, everyone. Uh, please turn back in your Bibles to Psalm 95, which is where we're looking today. I'll put this down a bit to hopefully stop the ringing. Good on you, six to eight. What a well-oiled machine. For the rest of us, let me lead us briefly in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you speak to us in your word, the Bible. You do so in the power of your Holy Spirit at work among us. We pray that it will please you to speak to us today uh, and that as you speak to us, uh, you would save us from hardness of heart, that we would delight at and tremble at your word and therefore continually remain prepared to enter your heavenly rest. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you've seen already from Jono's report, and I assume most of you know this because uh, you've been here the last few weeks, uh, we've been having a bit of a a season of looking inward in a very positive way. We've been thinking about who we are as a church, uh, which culminated really last week in a, a wonderful gathering, our, uh, all three of our congregations coming together for our Vision Sunday. Uh, we thought about uh, who we are, uh, sort of, I, I guess, uh, springing from what the Word of God says we ought to be and what we ought to be doing in the, uh, the, the, the short and midterm, uh, where are people committed to praying, uh, rightly so, that's foundationally important, 
uh, to serving, because we're followers of the one who would wash the feet uh, of, of his disciples, uh, to giving, for which we make absolutely no apology. I'm absolutely ecstatic that our giving has increased. I think that's right on and, and, and wonderful. Uh, and all of that, of course, is uh, ultimately an account of us being committed to the grace of God, which we live in and we live out. But there's one loose end that needs tying up. One final bit of, of looking inward. Introspection, is that a word people use these days? Uh, we are not just Grace Church in Harrington Park. We are Grace Anglican Church. We haven't really spoken about the Anglican bit very much, and we seldom do, and there's, that's actually right and proper. A denominational affiliation isn't really uh, uh, the big deal. Being uh, followers of Jesus in accordance with the Word of God, that's what matters. But what does the Anglican bit mean? Well, there's too much for me to say in one talk what it means to be an Anglican or an Anglican church. However, the liturgy and the theology of Anglicanism is really expressed in one book called the Book of Common Prayer. And uh, it was composed by and large by a, a wonderful uh, saint named Thomas Cranmer. And the basic gathering of Anglicans, according to the Book of Common Prayer, is called morning prayer. Now, we don't do morning prayer here. We, well, we kind of do, just not in the form of the book. But the basic service of morning prayer always has one psalm read out. And if you're a good Church of England goer once upon a time, you'd have gone every day to your local village church. And uh, for six of those seven days, you would begin by saying Psalm 95. Often all said together, or with half the room saying the first stanza and the second half saying the other. Why did Cranmer choose Psalm 95 to be, if I can put it like this, the Anglican Psalm? That's a question we're going to answer as we come to it this morning. Uh, the Psalm starts with uh, highlighting the importance of knowing God as the all-powerful creator. There is no lead-up to this psalm. Uh, in a lot of the other ones, uh, we get the author and we get some musical direction, like, you know, a psalm of David. And by the way, incidentally, we do know this is a psalm of David from elsewhere in the Bible. But you know how in Star Wars, right, you get those words that come down the screen and then all of a sudden the music starts, okay, that's this kind of psalm, right? Here's how it starts. No lead up, full pace. Psalm 95 verse 1. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Well, it's a letter, so it's together. Basically, it's saying together in a corporate way as the people of God, uh, let us joyfully and exuberantly and frankly, loudly and with volume give praise and thanks to God. Uh, just a, a little techie, nerdy note. You know that in the verse 1 there where it says, shout aloud, it's just the word noise. And it's the same word that gets used in extol, which is verse 2. Extol sounds very religiously, let's praise God. But it's exactly the same word as the shout aloud, right? We, we shout joyfully in song and we give thanks to God. Uh, why is it fitting? To give loud and, and exuberant praise and thanks to God. Well, simply, according to the psalm, because he is the all-powerful creator. Verse 3, 4, because the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods, i.e. he is 
all-powerful. Verse 4, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a picture of being extensive. You see, you've got the, the mountain peaks and the depths of the earth kind of up and down. And wherever you are, sea and land are always horizontal. So it's kind of like this way and this way, right? Big expanse. God is the king. He's the creator over all things. Now, if you're a little bit like me, you might not initially kind of feel so on board with the intensity of this. Yes, God's your powerful creator, but that doesn't make me sort of jump to my feet and shout like someone who might in a sports arena or, or something like that. But when you consider a couple of things, one that it's in song, and song can be energizing, that kind of helps. And two, when you consider the alternative, when you consider what would be the unfitting approach, well, then it makes it a bit easier. I'm going to show you the, the unfitting approach from elsewhere in the Bible, namely Romans chapter 1, uh, from verse 18 following. And here's what it says from verse 20, right? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Everyone knows he's the creator, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. And here's the, the diagnosis of, of, of sinful humanity in all its character, verse 21. For although they knew God, that is, they know him as, as, as the powerful, all-powerful creator, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. One of the fundamental characteristics of sin is that we don't ascribe the honour and thanks that God is due. And when I see the unfittingness of not giving God his due, the obvious, frankly, stupidity and immorality of living as if God isn't there when it's plain as day that he is, well then, yeah, I kind of see the rightness of shouting in praise in the hope that, frankly, other people will hear and be encouraged and, and joyfully giving thanks to God. I want to be with the Psalm 95 mob, not the Romans 1 mob. I hope you do too, by the way. My resolve is further strengthened when I remember that praising God is really praising Him to others. I think this is something we need to be reminded of. God kind of knows that He's the all-powerful creator of all things. Because I tell Him that doesn't remind Him, right? It's, oh, really? That's me? Oh, fantastic. No. The act of praising with the come let us corporately is actually praising him for the benefit of others. There's something kind of weird about in song, kind of just me and God and, and nobody else is there. Like, it, it's kind of not what's envisaged. It's, hey, come. I'm delighted to see that this morning there's, there's more of a curvy formation in the, the way the chairs are set up because it gives you more of a peripheral, more of a one another as we praise him. We can sort of see more of one another doing it. It's, it's, a, it's a strengthening thing. Now, even a person like me who does enjoy very exuberant and very voluminous music needs to make sure that uh, we keep things balanced. You see... Being joyful and exuberant is absolutely right and wonderful, and we need not be afraid of volume. Uh, Andrew, you can crank the thing up next song if you want. You know, that's cool. That's all right. Shouting, that's just, this is shouting, right? As a matter of fact, you get to Psalm 150, and it's about clanging cymbals, which warms my heart. That's why I need, that's why I need some more cymbals for my drive. Anyway, 
But by itself, such a response can be unbalanced. As a matter of fact, it can be meaningless without what comes next. To be the people of God, it is necessary to ascribe him glory and honour and power as the creator, but it is not sufficient. We need to know him not only as the all-powerful creator, but if we are to be his people, we need to know him also as redeemer. And that's where the psalm moves next. Verse 6, come let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Uh, Just like we saw in verse 1, he is the rock of our salvation. For the Israelites who sung this psalm, God isn't just the great creator. He's also our God, our shepherd. He's not just the God, he is that, but he is my God. He is your God, if you know him. Though all the nations of the earth belong to him, He has redeemed these Israelites in particular out of Egypt to be his very own treasured possession. And the same thing he said of the church. You see, there's always an important difference that we need to be aware of between knowing about God and knowing God. One is intellectual, though it's right, but one is relational, and that's essential, right? So you can know all sorts of things about God, but is he a God within whom you have a personal relationship. Uh, And of course, that's only available through knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not know Jesus, if he is not your Lord and Saviour, then no matter how much you know about God, you do not know him. It is only through Jesus, it's only through the Son that anyone can come to the Father relationally. Also note, like I said before, the balance of this approach, you've got the joyful shouting, the noise literally twice in in, in the, the opening verses. But now we have, three times, the, uh, the kneeling, the bowing, the worship. The word for worship literally is kind of like to, to kneel, to bow, to prostrate yourself, to bend the knee is one of the verbs that's used there. And that's really, really sort of important to keep in mind because as much as I might want to be, you know, yeah, God is a, God is a holy God. And uh, it's, it's an immense privilege to have anything, to be able to come into his presence corporately, so I must also have the posture at least, not physically, although once upon a time we did have the kneeling rail in a good Anglican church and uh, I'd be very happy with that if, you know, we can't do it here, but you know what I mean. Um, But as much as we've got this going on, it would only be right to have this going on as well. Uh, Even if you recognise, though, the rightness of ascribing glory, honour and power to God and the fact that he's the creator, and even if you recognise the rightness of kneeling in humble, solemn acknowledgement that God is the Redeemer, He is our personal God, even with those two big things in place, it is still possible to be giving Him lip service only. The final essential element is that you actually cherish and obey His Word. No use loving God, but not loving His Word. As a matter of fact, it's, it's mutually contradictory. You cannot actually love God unless you love and cherish his word. And that's why this psalm then moves to this sort of solemn, jarring, but absolutely vital ending. Continuing from verse 7, David writes, Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, 
as you did that day in Massa in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me, they tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my way. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Amen. There's the, there's the solemn punch at the end. Now, what on earth is, for us, uh, firstly, Massa and Meribah? Well, that's, um, that's why we had, uh, thank you very much again, Phil, that second reading from Exodus chapter 17. It's this one tiny little incident, right? The Israelites have been saved out of Egypt, the, the ten plagues, the Passover, the the fire, the pillar of the cloud, the, the, the parting of the rest. They see the most amazing, miraculous, dramatic rescue from the all-powerful God of God and Lord of Lords. And they were in the desert and they thirsted for water, naturally, as you would in the desert. Uh, but they did so in such a way that kind of presumed that God wasn't going to take care of them, even though they'd seen all that he did. And so they quarrelled with the leader God had put in charge. And they were actually ready to stone him, to kill him. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The leader God puts in charge these own people. want to Anyway... God, in his extraordinary kindness, says, you know what, Moses, here's what we're going to do. You take the staff with which you struck the Nile, and one dollar will be given. Note, I don't have a dollar to anyone. You can tell me what happened to the Nile when Moses struck it with the staff, turns to blood. Thank you. So you're thinking, gee, is there going to be some sort of blood sacrifice here or something? There's a big rock, and God says, I'll stand before you at the rock, and you strike the rock. What? God stands before him and... It's like he's striking God. And, and Anyway, through that process, miraculously, unexpectedly, and very, very undeservedly, water comes from the rock. And so there's this one incident, but it's not just one incident. It's like when I say to you 9-11, right? There's one incident, you think of the plane crashing into the towers, right? But it's... It can be used to refer to as this whole sort of pattern of, of a clash between sort of Western world and Islamic jihadism and the, the kind of changed the world when that happened, right? So Massa and Meribah, that one incident ends up sort of being a catch-all for the, 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 the sinfulness of Israelites in relation to their holy God through the wilderness wanderings that took place for 40 years. They continually failed to trust God even though they'd seen what he had done. They hardened their hearts against his word. Um, and that's why that entire generation, bar a couple of people, uh, Caleb and um, uh, Joshua, thank you, <laughs> um, the entire generation apart from those perished in the wilderness. Now, once you hear that warning, you've got, all right, exuberant praise and thanksgiving of God, amen, humble, solemn worship of God for the fact that he's our redeemer, amen, trust his word, Unlike those Israelites, amen. We could end the sermon there. The psalm, that, that could be it, right? The summary will be something like this. Being the true people of God means knowing him as the all-powerful creator. It means worshipping him as our personal redeemer. And it means making sure we all cherish and obey his word. Now, that is what Cranmer no doubt envisaged for the Church of England. It's actually quite basic. I've got no doubt that whatever else Anglicanism might involve, to be truly Anglican is to know God as creator and Redeemer, so personally, and to take his gospel word to heart. But, there is something a bit strange about this psalm. 
I wonder if you picked up on it as uh, we read through. David, as he writes this psalm, implies that if you fail to listen to God today, you're at risk of not entering his rest. Today, if you would hear his voice, otherwise, you know, they will not enter my rest, right? That's the, the, the second half of the psalm. But by the time David was writing this psalm, it had been loads of time since Israel had long entered that promised land, right? The first generation died, but the second one made it in. And there was heaps of generations up to David. And David's saying, today, if you hear the voice of God, don't harden your hearts, don't, don't fail to enter the rest. Well, he's got to be, what's he talking about? As David lost the plot, was it at this point when he pretended to be crazy in front of the Philistines? You know, no. Sure enough, we learn in the New Testament that he was referring to a different kind of rest. The writer to the Hebrews spends one and a half chapters explaining this particular element of Psalm 95. Uh, the Psalm 95 that gets picked up in Hebrews is, is mined for all sorts of good stuff, but I'm going to do sort of like the quick three-point summary version of, 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 what, of what Hebrews teaches about Psalm 95, right? The first thing is that the New Testament teaches about this psalm is that a psalm, this psalm applies to God's church today. Just like David wrote it today for the people of Israel, the same words, same psalm is applied directly to God's church now today. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7, 7, so as the Holy Spirit says, that word there says is, is, uh, is in Greek, it's in the present, right? That's the, as the Holy Spirit is saying, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion, quoting the psalm. The writer then tells us the application from a few verses down, verse 12, uh, which is this. So, verse uh, 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another. You know, come let us sing out, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, maybe every morning, I don't know. So that none of you, none of yous, plural, may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Oh well, so it applies just like in David's time to, to the church, good. But it applies particularly, second point, because the promise of entering God's rest still stands. So going further down in Hebrews 3 and 4, chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. All right, so we're all going to go to Israel sometime, right? If we obey the word of God, we're going to get plane tickets or something. It's not a good place to go to at the moment, just saying. <laughs> well, no. The promise does stand, but the rest is clearly something else. It was something else in David's day, it's something else in our day. What is that something else? Well, third and final point from Hebrews, the rest is something beyond creation. Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 4, for somewhere, <laughs> like Genesis 1, or somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, quote, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And then just a little bit further down, verse 9. There remains then 
there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from all their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort, let us apply the psalm to this end, to enter that rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Ah, it's big picture stuff. That's what David had in mind. That's what the New Testament applies to us now. Let me put it like this. Six days, God does the, uh, the, 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 the forming of, of the creation, heaven and earth. Seventh day, complete, he rests. This, and there's no evening and a morning after the seventh day, right? Every other day, there's an evening and a morning. Right? Seventh day, it's kind of like not creation uh, uh, box. It's, it's outside creation box. It's something beyond and it's something that goes on forever. You want to enter that one. You want to enter into God's rest, God's eternity. And the way to do that, or the way to to show that you're really keen on that, is by daily encouraging one another. Make sure that none of you get hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so, I think I need to make one little addition to my main point, and I'm pretty sure this is why Cranmer put daily Psalm 95 in the Book of Common Prayer. The addition to my main, well, with my addition, the main point goes something like this. To be truly Anglican is to know God as creator and redeemer, so personally, and to take his gospel word to heart. And, now that we've seen what we've seen in Hebrews, to help one another do this today, now, anytime, when we gathered. If we were good Anglicans and we gathered every morning, today. And there's some fairly um, strong and you know, logical implications from this. Uh, the first one uh, is for, for the possibility that there might be some among us too who might even know the truth that, that God is the all-powerful creator and that he has done something amazing to redeem a people for his very own, but you're still at risk of failing to enter his rest. How could you still be at risk? Well, I'll tell you. Perhaps you don't give thanks and honour God in recognition of the fact that he's created you. So you might just fail on the first box. He's not really the the creator. And perhaps you won't accept that God has a right claim on your life, even though right now he's giving you every breath that you're currently breathing. Uh, And you still choose not to be ruled by him, which is dreadfully immoral. That's possible. Perhaps you can join in with joyful songs of praise and give thanks, but you, are, you feel uncomfortable speaking of a personal relationship with God. Well, if that's you, he offers redemption by the new Exodus event, namely the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, you and I are pretty much the same as those grumbling Israelites at Massa and Meribah. Uh, we fail to trust God and we actually deserve his wrath. We deserve death. God, in a a miraculous event, even more so than all those signs of the Exodus, uh, came into the world, lived the perfect life as a man, and took upon himself the punishment that you and I deserve, took upon the entirety of that wrath of God, in your place, in my place. God raised up the Lord Jesus to say that he actually has the ability to grant you the gift of eternal life. He can give you entry into that rest. Perhaps you are yet to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. Therefore, I ask you, if that's you, will you do the right thing? Will you bend the knee 
Will you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour so that you can be one of God's redeemed people, so that you can enter his rest? You know, a really good day to turn and put your trust in Jesus, a heaps good day for it. Does anyone want to guess? Today. Today, if you've heard his voice, don't harden your heart. Turn. So I've got to stop living my own life my own way. I'm going to start living with Jesus Christ as Lord and Saviour. That might be you. But... Secondly, I'm going to assume most of us do fit in that, uh, the category of those who praise God, know his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the, the second, and it is a fairly strong implication, I think, from this psalm, is that uh, it helps us to get church right, helps us to understand the importance of the gathering uh, of the people of God. Throughout the psalm, there's corporate nature, right? Come, let us sing, let us shout. In triumph, let us joyfully give that. For He is our God, right? We are the people, the flock. Our, 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 us, 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 right? Very, very much corporate. Uh, and therefore, uh, when we are together, it, it is especially important that that we don't neglect the Word of God. That we ensure that one another are not at risk of having our hearts hardened to the Word of God. That's actually one of the big reasons for gathering as a church. It's to help one another remain faithful to the word of our all-powerful creator and redeemer, lest we fail to enter into his eternal rest. Announcements are really important. Bible readings are the high point of our gathering. Right? Get that, that sort of thing? You, know, you can go to a church where they've got more time in the announcement than they do. Right? There, there are churches where they don't have a Bible reading. If you call it a church, I don't know. But the whole point right, is to, to receive and to help one another. The reason we have a sermon, by the way, do you ever wonder why we have a sermon at church? I mean, we could just read the Bible, it's the Word of God. He works at us by His Spirit. Why do we have a sermon? Well, it's because we want to ensure that none of us, brothers and sisters, is hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We've heard the Word of God read. Now let's make sure we're all on board with this. How are we going to do that? Have some guy come up and explain it, right? That's why we do what we do. What about gathering daily? Well... If once upon a time we lived in a little church village in the country in England, we could walk 10 metres to the local church and the, uh, the vicar might get on his horse and come in. and people. You know what, actually? That wouldn't be a bad idea. <laughs> Not the horse bit. Uh, Daniel could... Anyway. Um, <laughs> we do gather weekly. And I like to think more than weekly. I'll tell you a secret. Pastors all think this. They feel a bit funny about saying it, but I don't. Uh, there's something every pastor wants from every switched-on congregation member, right? Three things. One, regular Sunday attendance. Two, some midweek fellowship, usually growth group. Three, one area of serving, right? That's, that's just what we want. I'm <laughs> just putting it out there. Uh, but the importance placed on it, the fact that you get one and a half chapters in Hebrews, the fact that Cranmer thought, I'm going to make them read this every day, suggests to me that it's probably right to say that mature Christians really prioritise the gathering with one another under the Word of God because we are awaiting that day when we're into the rest and, and this right now, this is God's prescribed means of kind of keeping us on, on the right track, if you know what I mean. And so mature Christians, you've probably heard this expression before, we decide to come to church once. Now that doesn't mean I've decided to visit, to go with, you know, a bunch of people on one occasion. 
It means that the decision has been made once. I don't get to every Sunday morning and think, gee, will I or won't I gather with the people of God under his word? That's not a, that never occurs to me because I have decided once that that's what I'll be doing. Sickness, holidays, extenuating circumstances, of course, but really that's, that's what I do. A mature Christian decides to go to church once. <sighs> There's a great sadness when you get the prioritisation of things like sports in particular. I don't know why sports is a big one, right? But when, 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 the, when the sporting team says, or oh, you can do this thing and it's going to be every Sunday morning when you'd regularly be gathering with your church family, there's only one right answer. The answer is no. <laughs> I'm sorry if that sounds blunt, but you think about it. Well, I took my kids to, to play soccer every Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how much I say to them. The reality is everything that I'm doing is teaching them that there's nothing majorly more important about this than that. There's a, the entering of the God's rest is not as big a deal or priority as, as, as any other potential thing. Uh, commit to grace, commit to grace in an Anglican way by committing to gathering under his word on a weekly basis. Let me lead uh, us in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your Son our, uh, and Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who qualifies us to enter that rest, uh, who guarantees us eternal salvation. We thank you that uh, we remain on that wonderful path through gathering together uh, to joyfully praise and give thanks in song, to humbly acknowledge you as our Redeemer, uh, holy uh, and righteous Redeemer, and to make sure that your word has a firm place in our hearts and that we keep uh, uh, helping one another to throw out and chuck out and to kill the sin and to delight in uh, the wonders that you reveal to us uh, by your spirit and your written word. Pray that uh, you grow us all in maturity and that we therefore see this Anglican church as we rightly should, that today would be the right day to encourage one another to keep trusting in you and your word. And we uh, pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.